0: Welcome. We're so excited to be here at the Munchkin Public Library today. Um, my name is Hillary LeBlanc, This is Clinton Davis, and we'll get a little into our work in a second.
1: But first, Clinton's going to explain these beautiful QR codes in between us. Oh, just very simple. Um, these are the QR codes to both our website at blacklant.ca and our um, government if anyone wants to check us out, but although we're going to explain what we do in just a moment, and on Instagram. Um, yeah, we'll put them back up at the end if anyone
0: feels that we've done a good enough
2: job and want to follow us along, although I know a few of you in the audience already do, um, just to keep track yeah. of the, the good
0: work we're trying to do in the community.
2: Uh, mm-hmm. We, we speak so. English very fast,
0: huh? I can slow down. Mm-hmm. Okay, actually, you. it was our goal
2: to speak slower. It is our goal to speak so slower. Because appreciate. there is a lot of aberrations uh, here. There is a lot. Uh, is not good, so. And my ears are not so good. You're absolutely right. We tried to
1: use the microphones that they had, but they there seemed to be some kind of feedback. Mm-hmm. So we are going to speak slower. Thank you for bringing that up. Not very
2: loud. You don't need to speak very loud.
1: Okay. I <laughs> <laughs> no, accept the
2: feedback. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm worried, where were we? Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, we do. Want everyone to know that well, none of your faces will be seen. Uh, as you can see, there are cameras here, uh, and we are live streaming this to YouTube. So um, and TikTok. And TikTok.
0: Because we're trying to keep up with trends.
1: So while we don't imagine that happening. If any of you, for any reason, were to get up and come into the frame of the cameras, uh, we would then ask you to simply sign a release or a consent form, uh, giving permission for your face to have been shown. On the, on the video.
0: Um, so, do you want to start with the- Yeah, so um, I will start with a land acknowledgement before we, we get going here. Um, I would like to begin by acknowledging that the land with which we are gathered today is a traditional and ceded territory of the Wolas, uh Maliseet, and Mi'kmaq peoples this territory is covered by the treaties of peace and friendship with, with which the Willisick, Maliseet and Mi'kmaq people first signed with the British Crown in 1725 the treaties did not deal with the surrender of lands and resources but in fact recognized the Mi'kmaq and Willisick and Maliseet title uh, and established the rules for what was to be an ongoing relationship between nations we're very happy to be having this conversation on uh, this territory and here with the Mug Public Library. Um, we're going to obviously be discussing, hopefully, all of you know, um, the early presence of black communities in New Brunswick and the presence of the KKK Ku Klux Klan in New Brunswick. And as you mentioned, Hillary and Clinton of Black Panting.
1: I will take a moment to ask. Uh are, are we speaking slower? Are, are we too loud?
2: You, you don't. You could speak okay. even even. I don't yes, but okay. For I, me, uh, but, uh, no, I, I'm not the only one here. Okay.
1: There's seven of you here, so it's important that you all okay. are able to hear us. Uh, the the obviously this room. Uh, I feel I'm speaking quite quiet, so obviously this room picks up sound really well, mm. and. Uh, Yeah, well, uh, I'll keep that in mind. Um, We are Black Atlantic, obviously Black Atlantic. We are, we'd like to point out that we are not technically historians. Uh, We are passionate podcasters who, for the past two and a half to three years, have been working together to highlight black stories within Atlantic Canada, more so New Brunswick than not, although we try to cover PEI, Nova Scotia, and Newfoundland as much as we can. Um, we of course try to educate, break down stereotypes, and just because of our passion, uh, we have dug into the deep history uh, of New Brunswick. Black people who were here hundreds of years ago, uh, as well as all the diverse cultures from all over the world uh, that have come here since. Um, we've released over 60 episodes of our show so far, uh, over two seasons. We've done the work with um, CBC on multiple occasions. We worked with Rogers Television to produce video content. Um, we've done a number of panels and workshops, but I would say this is the first one of this sort of nature, so we're uh, excited and nervous to be up here. And we've also worked with the New Brunswick uh, Education Department uh, in helping to reshape some of their curriculum. Much better explaining the the curriculum
0: part. Well, actually it's in a slide that we're going to elaborate on more later, but obviously I think part of the discussion in nature around discussing Black History and KKK is to really amplify that it's important that we discuss all of this, that it becomes part of the Black History curriculum, um, and that uh, we were able to work on that curriculum and we hope it takes effect very soon. Um, We will get into a bit, obviously, why that's so important to us. Um,
3: I don't know if there's
0: anything you missed, this is um, an excerpt from our website just sort of highlighting what our mission and our purpose is, Um, working with organizations on diversity, equity and inclusion. uh, initiatives that add a more inclusive community, um, obviously the Black Atlantic community, and that you know we we want to do all of this to eventually pay and engage other Black members in all four Atlantic provinces, so that we're not the only two people doing this, and so that we can get more feedback from all of the provinces because we can't be everywhere uh, at the same time. But we feel all of them deserve uh, the equity of having their stories to be told.
1: Absolutely.
0: Um yeah. Not to say that we're not the only people doing this, but we're probably one of the
1: only podcasts of our kind. There, there was another podcast in New Brunswick that exists. Uh, I don't believe it put out content in a while. Uh, but there are numerous, numerous organizations uh, throughout New Brunswick and Canada, also dedicated to this, which we actually want to thank and acknowledge for where we have gotten a lot of our information. Uh, the New Brunswick Historical Society. Uh, I know you're going to speak about... Provincial Archives, yes. um, many families from St. John and, and Fredericton who have been on this land for hundreds of years. Um, I myself, my origins are, are from Jamaica and Britain, uh, and Hillary's origins on the
0: one side is... I'm a Senegalese Acadian, my mom's from a cross book, <laughs> um, but I will be doing this in English uh, for the sake of today, but yeah, um, that's my yes. origin story. Um, and to transition a little bit, getting into the, starting to get into the meat of the content, just want to obviously say that some of this might be triggering to anybody in the room. Um, this is very much conversation based. If you are uncomfortable at any point in time, you need to step out. Um, it gets overwhelming for anybody. Feel, feel free to come in and out as you please. Um, we do have a little bit of a break in the middle, but just in case. We do talk for two hours. So that might be a long time to sit. Um, and as mentioned, we do really want to thank the Provincial Archives. Um, I've been blessed to have a friend who works there, who's was able to give me 19 pages of links that then link to more documents. But um, just the letters alone that we're going to discuss were 300 pages of letters over the course of 15 years between the KKK and other organizations. Affiliations, people in the community. Um, but we do want to share that knowledge. So if anyone is interested, our email is blacklantic at gmail.com. And I'm willing to send out the 19 page resource list so that you can go and search anything you'd like. These provincial archives are available to everybody. Um, Hillary, Hillary yes. you
4: said your mother was from Memramcoke?
0: She is the, She's the member cookie, and yes. It was prior to
4: Memramcoke.
0: Uh, old Shidiak Road, the house is actually still there, and I still have family who live there. Um, she lived there till she was six, and then moved to the city uh, for school in French, and went to what is now Aberdeen Center. Um, oh, can, I, yeah. <laughs> can I ask you where
4: your father's
0: from? He's the one from Senegal, so he came here actually. What's oh, Senegal? So uh, you know,
4: Senegal? We Senegal,
0: so he came here to go to U to M. Okay, um, okay. Yeah, and then I happened, and now I get to talk to him, all of you.
4: <laughs> So just uh, uh, another question regarding your mother, what's
2: her
0: family name? Melenchon. Uh, Melenchon, okay. Oh, yes. See my grandmother is from Milan and she's from that area too, so hey, okay.
4: we're cousins.
0: <laughs> we're cousins, the room's getting warmer by the minute. <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> um,
1: yeah, absolutely. So I will speak uh, as well as I can about the history of Black communities in New Brunswick, and from time to time I'll refer to Hillary just for her own thoughts and, and feedback on the topic. Um, before I speak about Black communities, I want to discuss um, the term Black. So you know, I I grew up within um, the experience of a black person. Uh, however, I firmly believe that we are all shades of the same color. I believe we're all different shades of beige and brown. Um, I know many of us call ourselves black, identify as black, and uh, are proud to be black, uh, and we should be. But I also want to note that the term black is, uh, is a made-up word. Um, The term black was a word that was made up by the Portuguese in I believe either the 14 or 1500s. The king had contracted a writer to write a document separating humans. And if you look really far back in history, before this period, there is no historical reference or context um, really that describes any human beings as being either white or black. They were simply people from wherever they were from nations, communities, and the such. So the creation of terms like white and black were actually created to justify the transatlantic slave trade uh, and to further divide us. Uh, I think we all know the world is very divided right now uh, and continues to be through social media. There's a lot of polarization and, and such like that. So um, just to start, I want to reiterate that yeah, um, we are all part of the same
5: diaspora of human beings. Is it possible that they, they came out with the, the word black because the word, the N word, was not acceptable? I don't
1: believe the word N word existed at that time period. In, you had, in the United States, they didn't call them. Well, I, um, I'm speaking from around like the, the 1400s to the 1500s. Which would have been right at the onset of the, uh, the transatlantic slave trade. And to be honest, um, I don't know when the term, the, the, the N word, became.
0: We've discussed this on a podcast before. Um, I'm pretty sure it is actually a derivative of the Spanish word for, Fred, for black. I do but the, yeah, yes. but they had to yes. first come up with a Spanish word for black, um, and then obviously make it a word that was malicious. So the N word does stem from the word black, but that idea of naming people after a color when we are not black, which is the absence of color, um, is all well, the, the background, the history that you just gave. It's sort of a made-up term yeah. that then slur came from. <laughs> it
2: was used for the colonization. Yes. And through, and. and was used for colonization.
1: That was a good question.
2: Thank
1: you. One other thing before I get into the history of black communities in New Brunswick is something just very interesting I came across in the past couple years. Um, So, this is a theory. This is a theory. Uh, It's believed by many uh, and not completely accepted by other scholars due to lack of archeological evidence or documentation. But uh, there was a book written in the 1970s by Ivan Van Surtima in which he theorizes that um, the ancient African empire of Mali in West Africa actually did travel to uh, the Americas hundreds and hundreds of years before European colonizers found this land where, of course, indigenous people already were. Um, his arguments for that uh, is that there are references to uh, documents where indigenous people describe people with dark skin having sailed across the ocean uh, through the Middle Passage, uh, an area of water that is quite easy to transverse, and uh, West Africans did used to be shipbuilders. Uh, also the similarities between the, the pyramids found in Colombia and um, West Africa as well as when uh, Europeans arrived in that part of the Americas, there were already uh, African crops growing there that were not native to, to that region of the world, and so that, that, that hasn't been explained. Although, again, just a theory, um, but very interesting. So, now I'll move on to the the history. So, The first uh, reference of black people arriving in New Brunswick uh, originated in the 17th century, uh, sometime in the 1690s. After that, there isn't much mention, but after the American Revolutionary War in the late 18th century, where black people in the southern states were promised their freedoms, Uh, Sorry, that's not true. There are references to slaves being in New Brunswick before that, but uh, black people volunteered to fight in the American Revolutionary War with the promise of being freed by the Brits after the war. So around that time, I believe it was either in
3: 1798,
1: you, uh, <laughs> you know, was a <laughs> it was in the late 1790s that about 3,500 people arrived on the shores of both Nova Scotia and New Brunswick. Now, it's very well known that in Nova Scotia, um, there, there were Canada's first black settlers, or loyalists, or as some people refer to them nowadays as black arrivees. Uh, there is discussion about the term loyalist being inappropriate. But New Brunswick has always been left out of that narrative. Um, they arrived on the shores of St. John, uh, again, approximately 3,500, some of them free, some of them slaves, and that's where they settled. There was another influx of black people from America arriving after the Civil War of 1812. But one thing that's interesting to note is that black people have been here for hundreds of years, uh, at least 300 years, and so when you hear in modern times of people saying go back to your country or go back to where you're from, um, this knowledge really helps because many families, many communities, many black people, again, and uh, this land really is indigenous land, but black people have been here as long as Europeans have been so they have those same claims. In fact, we are, we are close friends with people who have uh, seven generations uh, of black born back on the same land, and their families have been here the entire time. But, so it just goes to show that black individuals definitely shaped uh, the cultural landscape and historical landscape of New Brunswick, sometimes intentionally, uh, and again, sometimes due to, due to slavery. So Her, St. John was the most
4: populated?
1: Yeah, the first um, historic black settlement was in a place called Elm Hill, which is not far out of St. John. Um, I don't believe that that region doesn't exist anymore, although there's still signage and tributes to the people that were there. Um, I don't touch on that in this presentation, but uh, Mary Louise McCarthy. Mary
0: Louise McCarthy Grant, yeah.
1: Uh, she has done numerous studies on um, ancient, ancient, hundreds of years old grave sites of black communities yeah. that are still there, tombstones that have been buried uh, uncovered at the bottom of rivers, <laughs> just really forgotten history that she has done amazing work in, in bringing to light. Um,
0: I'll elaborate yeah, on please. that. Just I literally just wrote an article about yes. yeah. New Brunswick Power to extend the Maktamak Dam um, turned a negro cemetery. They, they put it at the bottom of the, the water. Um, there were call outs in the paper, however no one came to attest and collect those lost souls and so uh, Mary Louise, this happened in the 1960s, Mary Louise found out in the 90s and was able to, there was a stone that was broken in three and with some back and forth enemy power was able to somewhat rectify the situation by erecting a new stone naming the people much more properly, but uh, we've also done some discussions in Elmhill as well as they had a Negro school it was one of the only segregated schools and there are also archival research and papers on that as well and a list of the students who were segregated there and in the end they were looking for teachers, white people didn't want to teach that school and it ended up closing and eventually it looks to me based on the research as if the kid, those kids just never got a proper education and eventually we get to the school system we have now but there is a period of time where for years there's just like back and forth with the school and the government saying these kids need to be taught and them saying well where's where's a white woman willing to teach these 10 black kids um, and in much harsher language um, so that does exist at the, at the provincial archives and I do want to highlight it Mary Lisa McCarthy and uh, her cousin Jennifer Dow have done a lot of this research, they do talks, they're doing walks and talks and a lot of education in in the St. John and Fredericton area. So uh, So
4: are they remembered? Like is there anything there? (laughs) To be remembered, like for the
0: for for the cemetery, there is now a new stone that uh, Andy Power worked with, and I believe there's Allen Hill signage about the school. But everything that I looked at was archival oh, yeah. facts about what happened in the past. Um, there wasn't, I I think I might have been one of there wasn't any articles about it that was recent. And we talked about it during Black History Month, so I hadn't seen any footage about it before then. Yeah. Um
1: yeah, if you have questions, please ask, and uh, again, we will do our absolute best to answer everything to the best of our knowledge and hope that we are as accurate as possible.
0: Or we will definitely put you in touch with the, the right historians, yeah. too. We definitely yeah. will okay. Yeah. So, between the two wars,
1: when approximately the 5,500 to 6,000 black people arrived here, um, as you can imagine, um, just because they were made promises by the Britons to, uh, had land I don't know if it was exactly 40 acres but they were promised land uh, and while they were allowed to come here and while they were many there were many Europeans there were some Europeans that were supportive and helpful in general um, black people were not widely accepted in New Brunswick so even though there were slaves uh, and even though they were free, Uh, They did not get their land right away. The government was not very open to working with these communities, uh, and so there were many letters that had to be written, um, uh, not protests, but many discussions and arguments that had to take place for them to have anything at all. Uh, Eventually, land was given to many of these settlers um, on the contract that they would have to be able to make it fertile within X amount of years. However, the land they were given was awfully dense, rocky, uh, quite infertile, covered in dense forest. Uh, As you can imagine, back then clearing forest was much harder than it is today. Uh, And not only that, they were as far as humanly possible for that time period from any
3: settlements or communities in which they would be able to get food, water, tools
1: and just the basic amenities for survival. Um, So after the War of 1812, it did take, I don't know the exact amount of years, but it did take a long time for any of this to have effect. Um, I think I'm jumping a bit out of order here from what is shown here.
0: It's in response to the infertile land that the
1: lieutenant goes back to France, and and then found the Sierra Leone Company. So, there was a gentleman. Um, just
4: a a um, I'm sorry, I'm yeah, sorry. Please. Okay, um, yeah. so the black mm-hmm. loyalists are they the ones who arrived in Saint John, the first to arrive in New Brunswick? Yes. Okay, okay.
1: which means uh, the first black people to arrive in New Brunswick. Yeah. There was slavery uh, in New Brunswick.
4: Oh, okay, but Loyalist, where does that come from? Does that mean they belong to a certain religious group or a certain...
1: No, the term Loyalist, and again, which is, terms are given to to people, uh, and over years sometimes those terms uh, become not accurate. Uh, So Loyalists refer to their loyalty to Britain for choosing to fight in the war right. against uh, what is now known as America, um, okay. as America was trying to separate from Britain. So Britain promised the black people in the States that if you fight for us after this war is done, you will be rewarded with your freedom. So that's why they are called the Loyalists. And right. so they were free, and they came to right. New Brunswick and Nova Scotia, and uh, they were free. However, um, many other families did own black slaves during that time. Not as much as in the states, and of course, you know, there wasn't a cotton industry in Canada due to our harsh weather. like there would be in the southern states. With slaves. But slaves, they basically did farm work, took care of families, ran chores, did errands. But they were they were slaves. They had no rights. They had no freedoms. They weren't considered citizens or, I believe, even humans under the law. Um,
4: and which part did you say that they were from? They came from, like, okay, so like, did, when they came to America, where did they come from, the ones who were in any friends from? Like, where did they...
1: When they... From America? Yeah,
4: like, which uh, country or which, uh, like...
0: I thought okay. it was historically we knew that, people, I think it says in the book, Blacks and the Brunswick, that there are some of them were Jamaican maroons that had come to America, right? That, uh, of
1: course, never make up anything, I don't know. I don't know what part of America the American Revolutionary War was fought in. Uh, I don't even know if the states were labeled at the time uh, what they are now.
4: Like it would have been like Western Africa, right? Oh! Yeah, yeah that's oh. why I was saying Jamaica. I thought, it was, I thought it was
0: Jamaicans that went to America and then became free and came to
1: Canada. That could be. Um, Jamaica is a whole other story of the Maroons. Right. Maroons are a community of slaves in Jamaica. That uh, the Brits could never control. <laughs> from from the moment they arrived in Jamaica, they were warriors, they were resistance fighters, they fled, they escaped, they set up in really uh, on cliffs in the rocky settlements in which, uh, like literally, the Britain could not control them, they could not capture them, uh, and they became so powerful that eventually um, Britain signed agreements with them to just leave them be. They, they, they both agreed to a ceasefire uh, and um, they just they found a way to give them their space and live, and they just kind
4: of okay. seated that. And those people forced their freedom and they it. Woo! <laughs> so. Okay, so we're just not sure like where they, were, which part of like Africa they came from.
1: It's my understanding that they didn't bring them over from Africa for the purpose of fighting. It's my understanding that they were already there because right. um, Britain. Owned America. It was the Brits that came right. over. And my understanding is it was probably the undesired Brits or the ones that were politically opposed to the, the ruling power at the time, who they sent over here, thinking that they could control them as yet another British colony, uh, that, that eventually decided to fight for their independence. And so there was already a number of British people here, uh, and I believe so they already had their governments and establishments and soldiers, uh, they they certainly brought more over. But for the ones who wanted to
0: separate from them, they created uh, the American Revolutionary War. Um, This this article from St. John explaining The that how black people came to the area that is now St. John says that from 1813 to 1816 the second most important group of black people that came to the Maritimes were escaped slaves from Virginia and Maryland. So I don't know how they got to Virginia and Maryland but they would have come from there escaped and then been allowed their freedom in um, in in an area that's now St. John and it was approximately 2,000 black people 400 to 500 of them settling in New Brunswick, and then the other approximate 1500 being in Nova Scotia. Okay, so Virginia, okay. Yeah, in Maryland.
1: We really appreciate these questions uh, because one thing that Hillary and I say on our podcast almost weekly is one of the, our favorite parts about doing what we do is, is learning. Uh, we have guests every other week uh, and sometimes we just discuss topics. Uh, and so we learn every week from the people that we interview, uh, whoever they are, whether it be a, a lawyer, a doctor, an entertainer, a high school student, a historian, or something like that. So while I didn't know the answer to your question, I'm so grateful that Hillary looked it up. Uh, I knew that there was an article. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's why I like to say at the beginning, we're not historians, we're, we're passionate people who uh, just have a, a zest for wanting to share this information. So, uh, um, thank you as well. Did the video go off? we okay. Me? That's okay. So the next part I'm going to talk about, I'm not going to be 100% on the timeline. Um, But at one point, uh, there was a gentleman named James Thomas, or Thomas James, who kind of became a revolutionary. He he recognized that black people were made a promise here in New Brunswick, uh, and they weren't getting what they wanted uh, or were promised. So,
3: working with some of the European people here, he himself traveled to
1: France, uh, which was the ruling colony. Hi. I know when we were on C B C. It's it Thomas British Peters. French, Thomas Peters.
0: And it, he it was in seventeen eighty-five. So that the Royal Charter incorporated um, the city in seventeen eighty five, and then there were restrictions on black communities, and that's when he organized this exodus that we're about to discuss. And he went to Britain to speak to the king of Britain. <laughs> to have
1: uh, people in New Brunswick and Nova Scotia who were not happy with what was, having, what was happening in Canada, um, have the right to leave and actually go back to Africa. Um, and he was successful. So he came back and the king decreed, uh, whichever friends have written, I apologize we will try to get that information before the end of this panel, that the local governments in, um, in New Brunswick and Nova Scotia had to work together um, with Thomas I mean, Peters Thomas in
0: 1792. Thomas
1: Peters to help organize and arrange for any black people who wanted to leave uh, Nova Scotia and New Brunswick to give them ships, give them supplies, and make sure they made safe passage back to Africa. So, the 1,200 people decided to go. It was quite the voyage. I believe they took the trip with, uh, with about 40 different ships. and. This is actually a really surprising thing that we found out uh, last year. They sailed back to Africa to Sierra Leone and were an integral part of founding
3: the city that is now known as Freetown. So Freetown is the capital of Sierra Leone and and generationally it is actually full of
1: uh, numerous people that had been living over here in New Brunswick and Nova Scotia for years. So they still have a rich uh, connection to this area. Um, I'm not sure what the last names, I've never been to Freetown, but it's very well known over there that that city was settled by a uh, uh, Nova Scotians and New Brunswickers. Yeah. Now, of course, the people that went over there, they likely were not from Sierra Leone, uh, their their lineage and their links to their ancestral families and cultures and traditions and music, well retained as much as possible, would have been broken. But still, it's, a, it's an interesting story to know that uh, a number of people actually, uh, Africans actually left from North America to found uh, the capital of a, a country over there in West Africa.
0: So he actually was, uh, ended up being the founding father of the entire nation of Sierra Leone. Was He was enslaved in North Carolina and escaped and joined the British forces. So he asked Britain if he could, found the Sierra Leone company, um, and went. And he was originally born in Yorula land and ended up dying in Freetown of malaria, but ended up marrying and having children um, and and being one of the founding fathers of that whole, whole nation. So, thank you,
5: thank you, for, thank you to the internet. Yeah, That's
0: why there's two of us. One person says something and I fact check.
5: Did any remain in St. John?
1: Yes, many. So not everyone left. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know the numbers, but uh, I know that um, 1,200 people left. But again, many families stayed, and uh, there's a number of families that uh, again we just run into someone today. who is a seventh generation. Mm-hmm. Uh, New Brunswicker,
3: uh, Black Heritage. Uh, I'm not going to call you about it again, I don't know how far your
1: lineage goes back in this problem. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so many absolutely say uh, there is a project taking place right now being funded by the Canada Council of the Arts in which two people, Tondaway and Gary Weeks, uh, from living in uh, Fredericton, are traveling around New Brunswick interviewing all of many of the original families that have been here for hundreds of years documenting uh, making scans of some other family documents any photos they have any historical things uh, photos of the family that, that still exist right now uh, and that book should be coming out in the next year or two um, so i'm sure that will be widely publicized on places mm-hmm. like cbc and, and such like that so a little sneak peek of that mm-hmm. but yeah um, so in 1834 britain officially uh, declared the abolition of slavery. Um, As you you can imagine, um, just because a law was passed that freed slaves, um, that didn't mean that overnight they were suddenly accepted, desired, wanted, liked, given opportunities, (laughs) uh, given jobs or anything like that. Uh, It was still quite a tough journey for the slaves that were freed. Because of those factors, um, slavery then transitioned to indentured servitude, where technically they were not slaves, but because they couldn't survive here in this land they given, um, they had to sign contracts in which they would essentially, even worse than some of the jobs we hold nowadays, uh, sign away their life for seven years for no pay. Um, they would have to live in the home where they worked in almost all cases. Um, and while they were kind of free to move around a little bit more, they still really couldn't build a life for themselves because they had no money, they couldn't vote, uh, they had no rights under the laws by understanding or anything like that. But right before the break, I will try to show some documents that are not in this actual presentation, um, Wrote numerous news clipping articles from the uh, late 1700s, early 1800s, in which people were looking for their runaway slaves, offering rewards for, uh, for found slaves, talking about court cases that took place that involved black slaves, uh, and as well, I don't have it on me today, but even receipts, bills of sales for human beings
0: that took place right here on the land of the park, here in New Brunswick in
1: St. John. Humans were selling human beings, and uh, those old documents that we got from there, the provincial archives, that a document that. Um, so, regardless of all that, Black uh, communities here were resilient. They fought. They stayed. They could have left and they didn't. They they built families here. There are many famous Black like, and Brown figures, and I will note that uh, of the land that was given to them, eventually, not all the many families gave up and that also put them into indentured servitude. They, it's not that they weren't talented farmers. They've been slaves for generations. That's what they did. They they farmed. They, they worked the land. They grew cotton. They picked cotton. They knew how to work with animals. They knew what to do. Uh, they just weren't given the opportunity to do it. So many of these people's children um, they would just forfeit the land. And uh, I can't remember the details from the book. Feel free to chime in here. Weren't there many instances in which they gave up the land and you know, European settlers would just kind of reclaim it and take it over? Yes. So you recall that? Yeah. Yes. So, yeah. So the land that they were given ended up having to be forfeited virus. And there uh, are still. Can you give me the
4: definition <laughs> of indentured?
1: Oh, um, indentured is just someone who is signed contractually to, to stay with the family, to commit to a family. Um, this also happened to uh, Scottish or Irish people that came to Canada in that in that time period. Um, it's not to say, and we will talk about this when we get to the KKK part. Then, what would be another
4: word?
0: Like to read? So the indenture servitude is a form of labour where an individual is under contract without a salary uh, to repay an indenture or a loan. Within a certain time frame. So it's almost like working for free as almost like an IOU. It's like I owe you something, so for an indefinite period of time, I work for you without any
4: repayment. Well, how, would, how would they eat and like?
1: <clears throat> that would be part of the
4: payment. I think so that would be the part contract, of the contract.
1: Oh, I see, I see. And yeah, I apologize. It was either Scottish or Irish. Uh, when our economy collapsed, many refugees fled to Canada. Uh, not fled, but there was no money to be made there. Yeah. So over here in Canada, uh, people would sign them over seven year contracts, which would pay for them to be able to come across to Canada worked for seven years. I don't know if they were paid, but possibly be able to send some money back home to their family or not. But uh, yeah, black people weren't the only one who were certainly uh, prejudiced against uh, in Canada at that time. No, thank
5: you. Did they move in New Brunswick? And I ask a question because when I was a young guy, uh, there was not a black person in Moncton. I did not see a black person for quite a few years. And the only ones that I would see was when we took the train, the porters were from Nova Scotia. So they were they were at the door of the train, and that's the first time that I was, did the, the others move?
1: Actually, there was, there was never really any, um, historically speaking, black families that settled in London. So that would probably explain why you, you never saw them. Most of the settlement took places in areas like St. John, Elm Hill, as I mentioned, um, even Fredericton. But the truth is, there isn't a deep history of black settlers in London. And that is likely why you never saw any. Did you
5: travel much while you were Well, young? my father was a train, a train man, and we would go to Montreal practically every year. And the only time I would see black people was when we were at the motor Station and on the train. Yeah,
1: uh, sorry, I should have asked. I guess you probably didn't travel
5: much to St. John or Fredericton. I did, but I didn't have the impression there were a lot of black people. I don't remember seeing a lot of black people in St. John. There were probably, I don't know how many there were. But again, because the land they were given was primarily um,
3: very rural but in the country, if you were in the city, you might not have seen them. Uh, even to the state, I don't believe
1: that New Brunswick's entire black population makes up more than three percent of the province. It might be even less. So while they they certainly were there, it could explain why the trips that you took, you didn't encounter them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah,
3: because
4: my sister told me last week. Well, she's now sixty-four, and I didn't know this, but she said the first time she saw to say a person of color? A person what person of color? She was twenty. I was at the University of Moncton. That's the first time she saw a person of color.
0: She was twenty, you know. I was just gonna say I know that my so my my mom's actually seventy-three. Yeah. Um and I know that my mom I always ask because of my mom growing up in my room cooking being white, like how did you end up with a mixed race daughter and <laughs> what did your parents think of all of this? And in all honesty, she said that there that she had black neighbors when she would have been about seven or eight in downtown Moncton, and she just always felt like, Well, that's that's the black girl across the street, and it's just another friend. And my grandparents never said anything, thank goodness. Yeah. But there so there were some, but from a historical standpoint, I don't know numbers. Yeah. And of course I think You know, we're talking about St. John and the fact that there were a lot, but again, in in ratio and in comparison to Moncton, where there were few. I don't know if we're talking thousands, because I mean, even where we're going to get into this, the population of New Brunswick right now is from so much because of immigration that at the time then I would say our population was not a lot. Yes, that's Yeah. Yeah.
1: So we are going to get into that. Um, Sort of jumping ahead to more current times, but yeah, the. The black population in Moncton uh, really only started with uh, the French university, uh, UDM, uh, and those black people, they're mostly West African, uh, which is a primarily French speaking, well, primarily French speaking countries of Africa. And because uh, New Brunswick is officially a bilingual province, and because there are not many uh, many French universities in Canada, that did sort of become a hot spot for West Africans. Even when, and I don't know what year they started coming, but even when West Africans started going to the university in Moncton, they certainly did not feel comfortable uh, intermingling with the, the, the city. They typically did tend to stay on campus for the most of their university experience uh, and then go back. Uh, as you see nowadays, there has been quite a change. There has been quite a change in immigration. Um, there have been people for many, countries and cultures coming to New Brunswick, uh, and even the university students definitely feel much more comfortable intermingling um, with, the, with the city. So what you're saying makes sense and we are, we are speaking mostly about St. John and Fredericton. There isn't really a historical footprint of black people in Moncton. Um, again, the term black is a blanket statement. Uh, that just seems to encompass uh, visible minorities with a certain tone of dark skin. Uh, But the reality is black people could be from any of the 54 countries in Africa, they could be from America, they could be from the Caribbean, Um, they could be from other places in Canada. And that does tend to make up a lot of the, the black population that you see here in London specifically.
5: When we arrived
4: in London in the uh, early 80s, I remember there was two uh, families, but the father was from Haiti. <laughs> that makes sense, uh, in, in a
1: French-speaking, French-speaking country. Uh, my parents moved to New Brunswick in 1999, uh, and I didn't myself come here until about 2009. Uh, I grew up in Toronto. And when I came out here, same thing, you know, New Brunswick has basically, I think this is the right word, uh, always been a homogenous culture, right? uh, primarily Anglo-Saxon, um, of course with uh, the Acadians as well, and, um, sorry, are you, let me please take that back. Not primarily I'm
0: going to say, Anglo-Saxon. Oh, 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 oh. Yeah. <laughs> okay. um, we're going to get into the... the
1: primarily thing. European, yeah, we're going to get yes. into that uh, primarily yeah. European. Um, Without many other cultures, until uh, recently. I, please, I apologize. I, I, I said I might be
0: using the wrong term. Yeah, not Anglo-Saxon, uh, but European. Yeah. And, um, yeah, cause yeah, as we're going to discuss. It's going to be. It's very much Anglo-Saxon versus um, versus Roman Catholic at certain points, and against the Acadian community. And I will be. I'll be talking about my good Acadians in, in a minute, <laughs> yeah. and I'll only love them. <laughs>
1: Time. Um, again, so amidst all these challenges, and this could be easily searched by the New Brunswick Historical Society's website where they have great presentations on this, there, there are many notable black people that arose from these challenging uh, things. Uh, the first black lawyer in Canada um, was Abraham Beverly Walker. Mm-hmm. Um, there were many business owners, there's even uh, movie producers from the early 1900s that came from New Brunswick and found the way to Hollywood, um, Willie, Why read, and, yeah. uh, and many others. Um, so we're not going to talk about all the so the, the big name celebrities, but uh, <laughs> black people have always been here, uh, they continue to be here, um, whether it be the ancient, the ancient people from hundreds of years ago or there are many people that have come to the bottom since along many other cultures. But uh, that is a little bit, or that is a, a presentation on black communities in London, first part. Uh, I've really enjoyed the questions that you're all asking. Uh, does anyone have any questions? Well, I, I have to, like, because,
4: okay, my neighbor, she just moved into a, a nursing home, and she's in her 90s, and most of the persons who look after her are black, okay? Now, see there. I said, black, like, and I want to say, like, person of color. Okay. So when she says, because I oui. am Kadien, wait, and I She says, I negi next I said, <laughs> that's wrong. no.
0: <laughs> Is yeah. one
4: better than the other?
0: Absolutely, because the the. Uh, we've had this conversation before because on our podcast we did have a guest, um, Linda Way, who is also mixed race like me, biracial, but she actually grew up in the French school system, and she experienced actually teachers and and students who would say "negre," but to to her and to me it is a direct translation of the N word. It is not a synonymous for black or noir. Okay. It is two different things. Um, I think. We try very hard to educate people, but like saying black isn't a bad word, you know, like, and I know that we, not we not sort enough. of discussed on the fact that like, it might not be a real term, but I, I think that person of color to me is very much an umbrella for someone who's racialized and you can't tell, and that's okay because we are starting to all mix and be yeah, so more inclusive right? of the right.
4: person of color is like more inclusive. It's definitely
0: more inclusive in terms of not knowing and not wanting to specify like, But I've had experiences working here in Moncton where someone someone said something to a supervisor about me and they said, Oh, that black cashier. And the staff there was like beside themselves that I was being called oh, the black cashier. And I'm like, oh, what else is the easiest way to pinpoint me in a staff twenty other white girls working? So to me, to me it's not harmful. I would say that Negro is so what do I tell her then? I would say the same word is fine. Okay. The cousins, okay. son, he's from okay. Wall, he's from okay. That's what I would say. Uh, and I, the <coughs> I think also works because um, that just means racialized, and it can be it can be anything. And I do commiserate, <coughs> I don't think that directly translates. Um, I will say my mom actually is also in a, in a nursing home and it is very interesting that I've had a lot of conversations about how yeah. it's nice that certain people of a certain age are trying very hard to say the right things and do yeah. the right things. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. so yes, okay. I appreciate you trying to educate. Thank okay. you. Okay. If I can
1: just add before you ask your question. Yeah, I understand, just like I was saying with uh, whether we call them black loyalists, black settlers, black iranians It can be uh, confusing as language changes and evolves. Uh, So, uh, I would also agree that using the term black person is perfectly fine. Um, However, when uh, someone says terms like the blacks or that
3: black person, to me, I don't know, for some reason it just does feel wrong. Um,
1: Person of color um, it's descriptive and it's accurate and that's fine as well. Uh, although I've actually read a report just in the past week or two um, that most uh, people of color don't use
3: the term people of color. Um, it's, it's all well. That's that's
1: that's, yeah, that's what the that's what the government officially sort of adapted as the term BIPOC, the Black Indigenous People of Color. Um, to me, black is actually fine. regardless of what I said in the beginning, I believe we're all part of just the, this spectrum. But black is fine. Uh, I think. Personally, visible minority is probably one of the most accurate and fitting terms uh, for me because we are in a place where there is a, ma- a majority of a culture and then visibly it's very obvious that uh, there are other groups of people that are the minority, uh, but black is fine. Um, yeah. Obviously the, the the word that was used in French is <laughs> yeah. not. But I have a, That moved here and uh, many black people that entered into healthcare services uh, because the New Brunswick government, I believe, was paying
4: for their education. And uh, I, I'm sad to say, especially with the shortage of doctors and nurses that we have right now, but that many of them got um, right back out of it because of the, the terminology that they were being referred to. Well, I, in I medicine actually medicine. personally, I find that having this discussion, I don't like even using like those words, like like blacks or person- Like, why not just like, use
1: a person's name like Charlie. Could, that like, would like, be ideal. That, yeah. The person with the curly hair or another person yeah. with the name. Uh...
4: Uh, the, the
0: person with the tan. <laughs> the person with the tan. The person with the tan. I say that one <laughs> well, a lot as
1: a joke. <laughs> I did quite light in the winter, I'll tell you. I did quite
3: light in the winter and yeah. quite dark in, in the summer. Um, um, and um, I'll but add. it's just because of the last, very
1: last thing I'll say. Obviously, there, there is a degree of sensitivity uh, regarding how to describe people uh, just due to the history of people that are not you or, or me, uh, the people, things that were done
0: in this country before us, uh, that makes it a sensitive topic, so I understand why. Yeah. And, I was, all I was going to add is that I think the big thing in terms of semantics is making sure that there's an element that makes the person feel like a person. The problem with saying those blacks is that you've, you've lost the person and all of that. But if you say those black people at the mall, at least they still have a sense of humanity in the description. And that's the main thing that I think most a- activists just don't want to get lost in language. I don't. I like. I don't care if you were to say those black people, those people of color. but people is still part of the conversation, and you don't lose sight. And you're not just descri- describing color. That's the main thing I've read in articles. But again, yeah, you're right. And like well,
1: all groups of people, you know, people with skin color like ours aren't necessarily going to agree on the proper term to call us because we're allowed to all have different opinions <laughs> and viewpoints and, yeah. and ideas yeah. of what is acceptable or not. Yeah, uh,
0: we even don't agree yeah. all
1: the time. <laughs> That's okay too.
5: Go ahead. Thank you for your If there were a few people of color mm-hmm. when I was young, yes. one has to go to the University of Longton and you'd think you're in an African university. Absolutely.
0: Right. Yeah.
5: When I meet black people at the university, one question that I do ask them, do you experience uh, racism? Mm-hmm. And we have a whole lot of Indians in Moncton, too, and I'm not talking about indigenous people. I I'm talking about, we don't know now if we have to use the term or not, not. they're Indians, they're yes. really Indian. in India, they're Indians. And uh, they have a tendency to tell me that they don't experience, they have not experienced a lot of uh, racism. And my question to you, where you was born with, uh, you were born with uh, an Akkadian mother yes. and an Acadian, Acadian community, yep. did you experience a lot of, of racism except the example we gave a ago.
0: Yeah, so um, I think I've almost started every article with the fact that I was called the N-word at age of two. Um, my mom was taking me to get my, like, potty training underwear through Highfield Square when Highfield Square existed and the skinhead said look at the N word, baby um, and my mom told me that as like a sign of, people are going to say this about you, you know you're a child you have no personality, you've done nothing wrong but exist in your skin color and people won't like you um, in the 10th grade I was pushed into a ball called a cotton picker um, I've experienced a range of things I would say that they all Sort of parking back to just a, a lack of education and ignorance, they've never bothered me because it has nothing to do with me as a person, it has everything to do with something superficial that someone has a, a bad opinion about. Um, in terms of Acadian specific community, I, would, I wouldn't I would say that I've necessarily experienced anything from anyone I could say is like, like uh, uh, um, it's been other white people, but I'm. Um, we're founded in New Brunswick, but I've actually been living in Toronto for six years, and I was called the N-word in Ottawa, I was called in Toronto, so it does not know the parameters of New Brunswick. Racism knows no bounds, unfortunately, um, but also there's so many people who want to be educated when we do this work. Um, a lot of the people that we interview, because I, I went to UDAD as well, and a lot of the people that we speak to who are black who come from away, their big thing is that they didn't know they were black until they came to a white community and were told that they were black. When you live in South Sudan, you are one of many people who look like you, and it takes coming here and being put into a place of minority to have this realization and feel these. Icky feelings inside of you that you're not good enough because of your skin color. Um, I agree with the description that I gave to M. There was a lot of people of color, and I felt weird because I was half white. I did not feel like I belonged. I felt like my French wasn't good enough, and I felt like I didn't know racism as good as they knew racism because they were being, they had they didn't have that 50% chance of hope that someone might look at them and see the Le Blanc or the Melançon and like them. They have names like Ibrahim, Maso, my, my father, and you're written off from a job, from a loan, from anything because you're from Senegal. So I didn't feel like I could relate to them either because I only knew, I knew mountain racism. I didn't know racism on a grand scale. So it's a weird, it, going back to we're not monoliths, it's a weird experience. And I didn't feel like I fit in at them. but I tried and I graduated. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because
4: my sister moved to Montreal
0: Forty years ago, mm-hmm.
4: and she married. Well, he's Greek, and her daughter, like her husband let us say her husband's best friends were Jewish. Okay, which, but um, she they her like my sister's husband was born in Egypt, and then they came to okay. But now, when my sister, because my sister was raised, racist when well, she went to Montreal, because she found herself like. Being like, uh, like a, a amongst more of a diversified people. And whenever she would uh, mention, like, we, like, let's say something about a, a person of color, like black, or oh, like she would say, she would sometimes say, like, use the N word, right? And my niece would get so upset because my niece, like, had more connections with. You know, she grew up with uh, international children. Like from every so, she would get really upset with my my sister because you know. So so it's it's so it's so like alive. It's so alive, like moving. It's so uh, you know. It's it's, superfluous. It's not stagnant. Like yeah, I noticed. You have a question? Yeah, just a comment because you said earlier, "les personnes racialisées." We so it includes everybody. It doesn't make any difference. I, and we're trying to stay away from that terminology of racism. Right. So I think a visible minority. Or right. A
0: but I think to say is better than uh, from in my opinion. Sure. Uh, I would say that to say that someone's racialized can be synonymous with a visible minority. at the end of the day, we're trying to. Be, we're unfortunately describing someone based on what makes them different, and that is, like to your point, using names would just be so much more effective and would steer away from that at all. But of course, there is that similarity in the words. Racism is say I say, of course, but yeah. it, it's very complicated.
1: And uh, if I yeah. understood
0: what you were saying, I, I think that
1: it being racialized is a term where someone is. Identified because of this conception of their, their race, um, but I've, I've argued before that yeah I don't like the term racist because uh, to me it implies that we are not all part of the same human race. Uh, you know, so we are obviously different. We're from different places in the world, uh, and through generations, regardless of what you believe, whether we've been here for six thousand years or millions of years, through generations of being in different parts of the world, we've developed different features, maybe different skin tones, noses. Um, body types, possibly uh, culture, opinions, likes, foods, and musics, um, and so while I use the term racist sometimes uh, just because of default, I don't like it because it implies that we are not part of the same human species, uh, in, in some ways I feel like can divide us a bit more. It sounded like you were saying you like the term visible mind
4: better than...
5: In the research, do we know about mixed marriage with the uh, black people on these? Yeah. Yes I don't. I don't. I know that
3: my mother, who was uh, born and raised in PEI, uh, she went to Jamaica when she was 21 and worked in the same
1: orphanage as my father. Uh, and they got married in Sparks Flew, and they got married eight years later. I know that they were married in Jamaica before the civil rights
3: movement even took place in the states. Uh, And she was fully accepted down there in Jamaica. uh, They were fine. They came back to Toronto. Uh, They claimed they had a
1: pretty normal life, but when my dad moved to PDI, he was very well accepted. But I don't have
0: any information whatsoever uh, regarding... Well, we're going to talk about... um, We are going to talk about an interesting situation, um, with an intermixed, I guess, marriage that the KKK obviously did not like. but we don't have
1: any statistics on percentages, but obviously we're both biracial, so yeah. <laughs> we're part of those statistics.
0: That's
2: sort of the joke we have to make. Like, so so what, what, what is Hillary and what, what am I? Uh, if there are black people and white people, are we great? <laughs> <laughs> but you said biracial, but actually there is no such a thing as a that, race. I don't use that term anymore. It's intercultural. Yeah,
1: yeah, so I've taken, I have my own. Scientific relation. Uh, uh, I don't use biracial, I don't use interracial. I, I, I say I'm intercultural. But uh, intercultural, because again, there's no denying. There's no denying that cultures are different. Uh, I don't think that's a
5: reason to hate. Uh, but yeah, cultures around the world are very different. From what I, I heard, I think you identify to a certain extent with the Acadians. Yes. Do Do you have a problem of identity having a mother that is bi? Father from the- yeah, which, yeah,
1: I would say I spent my entire life struggling with uh, the question of who am I and what am I. Uh, even growing up in Toronto, um, incredibly multicultural neighborhood, uh, probably kids from 40 different cultures at my school. Um, and while nowadays you see intercultural children specifically from black and white cultures all over the place, even growing up in a city as diverse in Toronto, I never saw anyone that looked like me. Uh, it wasn't until high school that I met other people that had black and white parents. And uh, yeah, I, uh, my brothers and my sister as well. Uh, am I black? Am I white? You know, what I settled on for most of my life is that I, uh, I was Canadian um, or that I was a person. Um, I have to acknowledge though that regardless of how I identify, uh, or even if I have to identify, uh, I certainly grew up living the life uh, through the lens of being seen as black by everyone around me. Uh, and that probably did shape my experiences. Uh, Hilary and I have talked about this a lot, uh, to, to the happened with intercultural kids, you know, uh, the saying, like, you know, we're not, not black enough for the black people, and not white enough for the white people. We're, we're black to the white people, and we're white to the black people. Uh, Tanya, do you...? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm so okay.
1: So, uh, yeah, so we... Um, while uh, we feel we are seen as black uh, and we have darker skin, uh, I mean, there's a unique set of challenges that arise from intercultural children
5: growing uh, up in this country as well. One um, last comment before we we'll go to the
0: next. Yes, yes. We finally get to the KKK okay. KKK I'm
5: a school teacher, <laughs> okay. retired as you can see, <laughs> and, uh, when I taught school, mostly in grade nine, we had a book called *Les Maritime Trois Promesses à Découvrir. Do you remember having that book? No,
0: should I know? No, you
5: wouldn't know, but you I. You
0: would? Was, this is my favorite teacher, the a teacher. <laughs> no. There, was, there, was,
5: there were 30 pages on Acadian history. That was the first time in my life and in the life of my kids that they were learning about their history Mm -hmm. in school. There were 30 pages about Irish and Scottish. There were 30 pages about the indigenous people. And I was very happy to teach that because uh, we did not have too much history at all in that sense. And if I had had uh, anything about black communities in New Brunswick, in 30 pages, it would have been fantastic. Of
0: course. Mm-hmm. Well, you, you you will soon, we're 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 going Thank you to say, so. Our problem is now in the New Brunswick education system that is still not in our social studies curriculum, and still not in our books, and still not being well, taught to our students. So we're gonna we'll get into it. As you you know, we yes. we have made the curriculum. Mm-hmm. I think it's being reviewed. We're adding some. There's been books made books resources. Yes. There so there will be one many years too late, but there will be one. So we're happy that
2: there will be one. So In we- 2017, it was the 150th anniversary of the Canadian Confederations. He yes. produced a movie called uh, The History of Us. And the History of Us, There was never mentioned of all the groups we've been talking here today. The French, the the uh, and, uh, uh, first nations and mm-hmm. black people. And uh, so we we sent a letter to the, mm-hmm. uh, the Department of uh, the Education saying that there is something abnormal, that, that there is no mention, you know, the history of. Canadian is not right. does not begin by the English settlement. You should have a common history in the curriculum. Mm-hmm. And uh, then uh, we received a letter telling us, continue your good
5: work.
0: Uh, <laughs> uh, a similar thing happened in a museum that I, I won't say where, but I was hired to consult on what they were doing sort of about the Confederation and the coming up to Canada of its existence. And they, in the lineup, they start. They have indigenous voices telling the story, but they start at colonization, and they have the indigenous voice thank the the British for coming oh, yeah. to Canada, and then they skip. Then they skip. They they go to the Acadians. They skip like black people and go to like LGBTQ to then go to BLM. So they skip slavery to go to the queer community, then highlight the resurgence of Black Lives Matters movement, but they forgot to say that indigenous people were here at the start. And so I had to be like, excuse me, please no. They yes, so wasn't good. Um, so I'm I'm going to be spearheading the part about the, the KKK. and. As I sort of mentioned, there were about 300 letters that were scanned um, that I was able to read and reread for various articles as why we sort of divided up this talk that we did. I'm going to touch a little bit loosely on the history of the KKK. Um, So they were founded in 1865 and they extended into almost every southern state by 1870 and they became a vehicle for white southern resistance with the Republican Party's Reconstruction Era policies um, and they were aimed at establishing political and economic equality. its members waged an underground campaign of intimidation and violence directed at white and black Republican leaders. Um, after a period of decline, white Protestant and nativist groups revived the Klan in the early, early 20th century, burning crosses, staging rallies, parades and marches, denouncing immigrants, Catholics, Jews, African Americans, and organized labor. The Civil Rights Movement of the 1960s also saw a surge of the Ku Klux Klan activity, including bombings of black schools and churches and violence against black and white activists in Southern America. Um, but. To get into the history that I know of the KKK's presence in New Brunswick, um, the letters that I was able to read, they, they start in 1925 and they run until 1940. And I do want to note that the letters start 91 years after slavery has been abolished, as we've already discussed. Um, what I found interesting in the letters, and, and again you can reach out to access them, and I'll show some screenshots of some of them. Um, did you actually print the letters? Yes. I can be Thank you. Um, uh, well, we'll see if you have a couple. Um, if not, I'll pull them up. But um, what I found very interesting in the letters is that there's some that are actually women of the husbands that are members of the KKK asking how they can be involved. Um, so one of the letters. Of I, can, I can, if I want to switch, I can. I know, I have it on you here. I can put it right the
1: slideshow, but I
0: can pull them up on right here and put them on the screen. Sure, I'll um <laughs> No worries, I'll pull it up so I can read it here. Um, it? So one of the letters that he's going um to pull up says, I have your address from a Miss Catherine Morrison. Uh, she informs me that there's a possibility of the Klan forming a women's branch in New Brunswick in the near future. Um, Sister Morrison wishes me to join up and thinks I may be of some help when this is arranged Um, so it is not a money grab for a select few. I will be glad to go in on the grand floor um, at the beginning in New Brunswick so as I said there were women who actually wanted to try to join to support their husbands. Um, There are a few letters as well and I will will get more into this that they don't None of the letters directly name Black people as a target. They actually name Acadians as <laughs> the problem. <laughs> this was my favorite part to tell my so, Plot twist: This talk is actually about Acadians. <laughs> so um, the KKK, often um, being Anglo-Saxon Puritan, actually discuss hating. Acadian Roman Catholics, as there was one, at the time there was 137,000 in the province, and so that they could unify and actually be a threat to what the English Protestants were trying to accomplish. Um, there's also a few letters that, um, can you show? This, this is the, um, the letter in which um, Catherine Morrison is asking to join the women's branch. So that's this letter, Um, and then there's a few letters as well that ask for more patriotism. They ask that the Canadian flag be flown more at schools, and the Canadian anthem be sung more to encourage more patriotism across the board. Did anyone have a question?
5: Was it a very secret? uh, Was it as secret as the Orange Lodge, which which really targeted Catholics and French?
0: Yes. So. Um, these letters are, I have, I think, a screenshot as well of the letters that show meeting at the Orange Lodge. It is very much that secretive, um, however, I am going to get into an instance, yes. you uh, All the Brunswick members are invited to meet at the Orange Lodge on Jermaine Street, um, I believe, Fredericton, um, to hear a letter by the Imperial Click Wrap um, by order of C. Lewis Fowler. I'm going to get into this man in a minute. Um, but I do want to touch on some of the language. So what I find interesting and maybe almost humorous is obviously being the KKK. Canada is spelled with a K. They refer to each other as Klegals, as an officer. Being a Kligrap meant that you were somehow superior. They met in Claverns. They were clansmen, And they dealt, not in dollars, but it cleft tokens? Um, so they had, they had their own form of currency. They were their own little unit, um, and they signed every letter um, that's handwritten with an acronym that read "In the sacred unfailing being," which is from um, it's from the Bible because um, all of this is supposed to be about God. What's
4: called Imperial
0: me, It means KKK. That is that is like a title within the rankings. Oh, I see.
2: It is, yes. Did they establish uh, collaborations with the Freemasons? I didn't see any
0: of that in any documentation. Because
2: also they were against Catholic and... Uh, yes. They definitely had relationships with the KKK branches yes. in Toronto, Montreal, i sorry.
1: No. Did you that? Yeah, so in Maine, uh, Boston, they invited them, they partnered, uh, you know, Toronto, Montreal, I don't know, Vancouver, uh, but I don't know about the Freemasons. Okay.
0: Um, so, um, C. Lewis Fowler, it's an, a bit of an interesting case. So, this man, as you can see, has signed this letter and was very, very passionate about the movement of the KKK to the point of, if you can show another one of the photos. Uh, other, oh, I'll stop here. So, here's the ITSUB um, in, hold on. In the sacred unfailing being, so that's the religious signing of the letters, and it does say at the bottom here, calligraph as well. Um, and in the
2: secret of oh the in the secret of what?
0: in the sacred unfailing being. Yes, and then I also I also wanted to point out in this that they're talking about six or seven cars of people. That are candidates to join the KKK that they're going to naturalize. So the process of turning people into a good Anglo-Saxon Protestant was referred to as like naturalizing to signify purifying them of maybe whatever sins they had done and being of a good KKK standing to join up the force. Uh, But I'm looking for a different document, orange one. The book. Yes. So C. Lewis Fowler actually wrote a book about the KKK. He was so passionate about it that this man from New Brunswick wrote a book about why it is important to be a part of the KKK. This brochure is affectionately dedicated to the ten lost tribes of the house of Israel who by the grace of God and in accordance with his divine plan are no longer lost but have in these last days been revealed for humanity's final conflict the long and illustrious line of real patriots for rendering their last full measure of faithful service to the hour, and to my brethren in the Protestant ministry today, with the open prayer that it may lift them out of the ecclesi mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you can say this word. E- <laughs> the eccles- can you say that word? Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and just the wilderness into which many, may, uh, many have unconsciously fallen into new fields of thought, and understanding, and therefore to a new message that will burn and glow to the glory of God and the everlasting good of all peoples. Um, it also over here says, what um, was me if I fail to give expression to the truth revealed to me for which humanity is calling? I claim to know as much about the as the of the Kuklesian movement as any other living man. And so this is sort of his reasons to write patriotic. Protestantism or Protestant patriotism, um, and I think there's another screenshot as well. Um, so Thank you. Yeah, so in this one, the original tribute, um, he says the other of this brochure was just to pay a richly deserve tribute to the immortals who were responsible for the KKK upon the North American continent. Um, General in Bedford Forest, Whose hand reached forth and received it from Scotland and used it in one of the grandest and most noble achievements in Anglo Saxon history. Um, and ends so it with history will virtually adorn the brow of each of these with garlands of praise and appreciation. I place mine now. The world ultimately follows its wise men, its prophets and seers. It likewise ultimately repudiates and hates its ambitious and self seeking Napoleons. General Forrest and Colonel Simon were wise men. So all of this book is to say, good job, the KKK, join us, and reasons why they should exist. Funnily enough, (laughs) this actually broke several policies and oaths because you are not allowed to publicly say that you were part of the KKK, and C. Lewis Fowler, once Imperial Playcraft, got banned from being a member of the KKK, because he wrote a book about why it's cool to be a member of the KKK, and it's sort of my favorite part of the whole story. But uh, he was so that, and there are several letters in which they say um, there could have been some financial issues as well, that he was withholding money, um, that he was too, too in love with the cause, and talked about it way too much, and therefore got banned. Um, and you can go back to, Show?
5: What are
0: the dates again? So this um, this and is between 1925 and 1940. I believe it's early on, um, in 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 the in the letters. and yeah, the meeting was in 1927, I don't remember. Yeah, I think the, the call for the meeting was
2: I think yeah, it's I think. very grandiose,
0: Delusion. delusional. delusional. Huh? Oh absolutely, absolutely. And again, like I, we're presenting this as Black people, but this this entire book is about being Protestant and not being okay with Roman Catholics mm-hmm. or the Acadians, the mm-hmm. Mi'kmaq, the Francophones. It was not about skin tone. It was about religion. It was mm-hmm. about religion. Um, yeah, it goes to say
1: that I, I think you would, would be without doubt that they weren't that very friendly to the the
0: Black folks in the Brunswick of the time. Either. Absolutely. Um, and then. So um, I also want to touch on, this. there's actually a paper about all of this, by Tyler Klein. It's called, A Clarion Call to Real Patriots the World Over, The Curious Case of the KKK of Canada in New Brunswick in the 1920s and the 1930s. And it actually highlights the fact that this was a fight between the Acadians and the Protestants. Um, it says that the KKK movement in New Brunswick in the 20s and the 30s was part of a wave of anti-Catholicism in the Northeast. The supposedly American organization's connections with local Protestants, such as the Orange Order and conservative politicians, coupled with New Brunswick's long history of anti-Catholicism indicate that the Klan's nativism was not foreign to the province, Instead, it was part of a religion-wide response to a thriving Catholic population that challenged the Protestant-Anglophone milieu. The clan's transnational patriot-protestantism rejected bilingualism and Catholic participation in the political sphere while promoting traditional Anglo-Saxon views and Protestant morality. The arrival of KKK in Canada was first reported in 1922. Francophone Catholics, including descendants and migrants from Quebec and the Métis, presented a challenge to Anglophone cultural hegemony, um, and that the KKK in New Brunswick was formed in this environment of discontent and conspiratorial fear. The rise of politically active and socially vibrant Acadian communities in the early 20th century fanned the fears of nativists in the province. The Acadian population at the time was uh, Sorry, uh, 137,000 in 1931 and it had been ignored and denigrated by the Anglican population and traditionally economically marginalized from the rest of New Brunswick. So this entire paper is actually about how the KKK was fighting these and not black people. Um, I also want to bring up that um, a lot of the letters discuss there, there was 12 communities in New Brunswick that had KKK chapters. There's Fredericton, De Plaster Rock, Moncton, Sussex, the little list goes on and on. Um, and they were often in contact with uh, headquarters in Vancouver and in Toronto. Um, and in my research, going back to the question about uh, mixed marriages, there was a case that is referenced in a letter in New Brunswick about the Oakville affair. And the Oakville Affair um, happened on February 28, 1930. 75 members of the KKK in Oakville, Ontario set a cross on fire where a black World War I veteran, Ira Junius Johnson, and his white girlfriend, Isabel Jones, were visiting. Uh, They were visiting the black veteran's aunt. They took the white girlfriend from their house returned her to her mother's home and then they brought War One veteran to his house at the end of the street and made him watch the burning cross on his lawn and told him if he was ever seen walking with a white woman again he would be dealt with. Um, the shocking part is this is the first time in Canada that a member of the Klan was persecuted in court for this act. Um, it's worth noting that the mayor of Oakville actually said Personally, I think the Ku Klux Klan acted quite properly in the matter. The feeling in the town is generally against such a marriage. It will be quite an object lesson. Um, and the, this couple actually ended up getting married a month later, and they had two kids. So they they won. <laughs> they ended up winning and getting to you know be married together. But that is the that is the story of um, the Oakville affair. Um, Summarizing all of this and all of the letters, um, what we found in a lot of our research and work is that obviously they never went away. While the letters stopped at 1940, we all, a lot of us, in the room have experienced racism, and we know that the KKK still actively exists. Um, there was an article in 2021 by the CBC um, that highlighted uh, a resurgence of hate groups. They believe in her with Donald Trump's presidency in America. Um, David Hoffman, who is an associate professor of sociology at UNB, said that in the past five years the number of active extremist groups in Atlantic Canada had surged from eight groups with four or five members in 2015, to 30 groups with 150 members by 2020. And um, also, I think that actually, this is the document. Um, you so said,
4: excuse me, you said in New Brunswick or in the <laughs> Atlantic
0: Canada. Atlantic Canada. So in Atlantic Canada, uh, in 2021, sorry, in 2020, there were 38 groups. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this article, it does highlight as well that there had been, I believe, in 2017, um, actual like the KKK was canvassing and actually asking for members to join in New Brunswick. Um, so the, the professor answers a lot of great questions about like yeah. what, why should you, why do people want to join an extreme group, how do they come, like where do they come from? Um, oh and it was right there where it said the part about 2017, but that's Professor Hoffman. Um, if, the the keep going down. Lucas Sang has also had a presence in New Brunswick since the 1920s, but was actively attempting to recruit as recently as 2017 in Fredericton. So that's only six years ago, and I can't imagine that they've, you know, been eradicated. Um... Yes, please. Does anyone have any questions? Yes. Yeah, I think also I don't remember which year, but around these years,
4: yes, it was active in Toronto, if I remember reading. Uh... I'm sure. Uh, a newspaper.
0: paper, I think yes. that's the key thing was actually I would definitely assume so. Um, I I only moved there in 2017, and i then I educated myself about New but I, I'm sure that they were. Yeah.
5: Did they go after the uh, black community?
0: I would assume well. so. Oh yes, you have the, um, the story in 2001?
1: Yes. So to answer that question, uh, I'm not sure if you've all heard about this and this does also relate to our discussion about skinheads in Riverview through the 80s and 90s and in fact uh, as I've been here 14 years now, my parents have been here for 24 years, my sister at 14 uh, had no choice but to move to Riverview, New Brunswick in which she was regularly harassed and called the N-word at Riverview High School. I know other people who have been attacked. Uh, There was only one or two black families in Riverview at the time. Uh, and as I, I met people from other places in New Brunswick, it, it was commonly known among Black communities that if anyone was going to go to Moncton to move, move or visit or live, uh, they would always be warned, watch out for the skinheads, be careful of the skinheads. Um, now, as Hillary said, you know there was the KKK in the twenties, who it was more about anti-Catholicism, but of course they did not want. They wanted, to, they wanted New Brunswick to be completely Anglo-Saxon, and, um, and you know, even with the skinheads, I'm sure some of them possibly grew up and changed their viewpoints, but what really probably happened is they just grew out their hair, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and they're likely still here. Yeah. So I'm not sure if uh, you folks have heard about this story from Moncton in August 24th of 2001. It happened in July, but man pleads guilty to New Brunswick cross burning. Uh, an 18-year-old pleaded guilty in connection with the cross burning on the front lawn of a black family's home in Moncton last month. So um, it's just one article, and I'm sure uh, even in the States they do mostly live in silence. You did mention that they were not allowed to even, you say allowed to acknowledge that they're part of the KKK, the no. secretives. Okay. So this person messed up. But this is a sign that they are still here and around. Um, yeah, yes. it's, it's, it's yeah, that's yeah. right. So, we again, it's not a joke, but we make the joke that the, you know, they've their hair and they're not like harassing people on the streets anymore, but they're wearing suits and ties and working in offices and government jobs
5: and, and stuff like that. Of course. It sounds a lot like the base. The base that is uh, uh, Trump.
4: Hmm? Oh, the ones that
5: are
0: helping?
2: Yeah, Yes. Trump's base,
0: absolutely. But actually, actually,
2: Trump's father, uh, Donald Trump's father, was very active with the KKK. So
0: there was, well, there was evidence that showed that the KKK was one of Um, many groups that funded some of his his work, and like he gave money to his party. And a lot of black people at the time, before we saw (laughs) the destruction that his presidency caused, a lot of black people asked, like. You're not racist. Why are you accepting money from a racist like group of people? Um, and then everything sort of unfolded the way that it did. But the, I remember the night that he won, that a, a KKK group in North Carolina went and burned crosses the night that he was first elected. And shortly after, we had you know people wearing meg, the Make America Great Again hats in Alberta, in Toronto, and so this I pulled out this article because it's discussing New Brunswick, but the, Donald Trump ended up causing a resurgence in the ability to be loud about your racism globally. Uh, and across this
1: country from coast to coast, be it Alberta or here in New Brunswick. Yeah, it's not that the people were still here, didn't still have the same viewpoints with Donald Trump, and I'm sure he radicalized and changed some lines, but uh, he just really gave the, the folks that felt that way a platform to mm-hmm. be more confident about being vocal yes. and proclaiming their, their views of the world. Absolutely. They probably felt silenced for eight years under Obama, and yes. uh, this, was,
0: this was the opportunity they were waiting for. And it's only occurring to me now, but of course there is the The Proud Boys are almost a a brother organization to the KKK that also go around and have neo-Nazi mentalities, uh, also rally and try to, you know, terrorize groups of people as well. Um, When I wrote an article about the history of the KKK in New Brunswick, I did add facts about the the Proud Boys, I tried to focus on the KKK for this talk, but very similar goals and mindset that we should be... White and pure, and any with, one of any other color races.
2: With the mob mentality. With, yes. English. Yes. Yeah. Yes.
4: Exactly. Well, yes. yes. Okay, you mentioned there a while ago about um, the women joining, right? Yes. Well, I remember my mother saying something about I think it was the Second World War. That what was the what was that about? Like that women would shave their heads or something if they were seeing, like, that was something they had to do, like, to identify who they belonged to, or, like, to protect themselves, like? What was that? Was that, did that have to do with the KKK, or? I wouldn't have
0: thought. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I've never heard of that. Yeah. Well, yeah. The
5: literature is very religious. God and Yes. Are they really good people? Are they really <laughs> religious people? Or are they hiding in back of religion? I can't speak <laughs> for the KKK. <laughs> and, uh, not to make any
1: comments on uh, religion, but I, I do believe throughout history we've seen many examples of people hiding behind religion mm-hmm. uh, as an excuse to carry out their horrific, horrific uh, viewpoints and mentalities, justifying it as being ordained by God or the will of God. Mm-hmm. So i I, would, I don't know. I would say some of them believe what they're saying, and I, I believe some of them know they're not religious at all. And if they were following, I guess, the words of the Bible, um, although we won't get into that. Um, <laughs> no, I don't know. I, don't, I see I in the Bible that would encourage that kind of behavior, uh, of wanting to eradicate a certain culture. Of course, they talk about chosen peoples and, and stuff like that. Uh, there's references in the Bible that support slavery, yes. and mistreatment
2: treatment of women. That's for sure. St. Paul's and Pistons. Right, right. There is there is a, a is lot of a lot of history of the use of religion for, for war, for power, for dictatorship. <coughs> uh, and if you look at the Iron Era, uh, it said uh, this is the the height. The, the, there is a group of. Of uh, uh, old people with a lot of money who control a lot of money and they impose uh, extreme laws, and, uh, yes. and then you have the Inquisition. It's another and and uh, the 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 <laughs> Is it
0: it's, it's one of those things where I think that people either sincerely think that they're doing good under the mask of a cause and then proceed to do a bunch of malicious things, but my personal opinion is you have to have that type of evil in your heart. You can't pick up any book and read a mission and then decide you're going to naturalize, commit genocide, kill a group, People just because of something that you read in a book. Um, I think that you have to have that ill intent in, in you. I, I like. I, my my dad's Muslim, my mom's Catholic. I've got a Quran, I've got a Bible. No one's ever told me to hurt anybody. So I don't think that that's um, the mission of anything. If you want to, I'll fix that if you want to. Uh, the next slide
1: is more of the um, screenshots and photos of the letters. Absolutely. And then uh, I, I've also found some of the, the references to slavery in, in these articles and yeah. in the Bill of Sale. Um, before we purpose is not to speak about religion or religious people, but uh, just to finish off my personal belief is that I wouldn't imagine that the majority of the people who lead the groups that kind of carry out these uh, atrocities in the name of God truly believe in, in God himself. Don't yeah, my sure.
5: question is the uh, the letter about the woman wanted to uh, to join the PTT yes. or a section. Do you know if uh, there was a section of women?
0: Do, do you know if it uh, went on and finally they were able to form a section? From my understanding, it stayed a men's a men's club. Okay. All of the letters for the rest of the fifteen years never discuss women again. Um, other than there's um there's letters about an all. Girls orphanage that I think burns down and they use they use KKK funding to save the orphanage and rebuild it it's the only time other time that they mention women yeah mm-hmm. um, so yeah that's the cover of C. Lewis Fowler's book that got him got him kicked out of the clan um, and that is an official um, so this one is credentials that actually um Make somebody a member of the KKK, and it's for a gentleman in Sussex, New Brunswick. Um, and it has all the language about, you know, the, the legal of the Invisible Empire, Knights of the Ku Klux Klan of Canada, December 31st, 1927. And it gives the rules about what they're authorized to do, not authorized to do, and the three uh, people who signed it. And then that, there's another page.
1: Okay, keep going. <laughs>
0: no, you can go ahead. The next page. So that's more those are more letters. Um they just talk that's a this is a letter for with the headquarters out in Toronto. Um and then that's it. Uh, that one I put in there is just um an excerpt of some of the Constitution and the laws that they had to follow as members of the clan. But in the letters that we had, there are, like, pages of oaths that they had to take and read to say that they were never going to talk about the clan, that they would never um, intermingle with people, that they weren't supposed to. Like, you weren't allowed to fall in love with a Catholic Acadian. That that is goes against the oath. Um, so there's pages of those as well, but I just wanted to give a snapshot of them. Um, some of
4: what what was in there. Actually, oh they have, they have,
0: the, they they have like to the they lovers
1: of law right? and order, peace, and, and justice. Yes, you said greeting. Hello. That's <laughs> <laughs> like, no, uh, the kind of double speak. Yeah. It right? um, <laughs> just uh, overshadows that
4: they either they're so delusional, um, like I, I wonder where it is felt like they get even the. No, Q club clan. Like okay, Clan, I know it's like tribal clubs. Cl what's Q cool clubs like?
0: It has to be well from what C. Lewis Fowler is saying in those first pages of the book, this is an organization that came from Scotland. To America, and then it was like uh, then it spread as far as Canada. So I don't know if it's uh-huh. a, a, somehow a Scottish language, something that they oh, made yeah. up in America. Like it could be like um, dialect, like Scottish dialect. It very well could be. I don't know the like the etymology of the name. Yeah, yeah. Um but uh-huh. um, it definitely, like, that was the name that started back in, in yeah. 1862. Um, and then it just spread, and now it's the mm-hmm. horrible acronym we all
4: know. <laughs> what's, what's the local like? What did they draw there?
0: Up there in the left? So the, the left is honor with a flag, and it looks it's horses holding their like version of the a British flag. There's a crown and it says loyalty. Okay. This side is K-A-A with a an I in the center and it looks sort of like a sloth at the top. Like It does not look like a lion or a tiger. It looks like a lemur. A beaver? A na- maybe a beaver. Yeah, it looks like um, a beaver. Yeah and it says that, that this is for the um, Eastern Regional Headquarters. Tr- it says Toronto here and then oh, this is the Vancouver one and right. they honor loyalty. Yeah, right. So the B were to That makes sense, thank you. And then, uh, yeah, um
4: you can keep going. I wonder if you're associated with the Masonic, like this orange and Masonic the Sonic same?
0: Well, so that was the question free about Freemasonry. Freemasonry is the Masonic right. Temple, right? right, right so right. it would be okay, yes. must have okay, okay. Um, and then these are the articles that I already read out loud. So the left is Tyler Klein's article about the KKK being against Les acadiens, and then the CBC article that we just pulled up, um, with the statistics about what's going on only just as recent as two years ago. Yeah.
3: There.
0: Did you want to talk about the current racial climate?
1: Yeah. And, um... Just before that, I mentioned that we just, for your eyes to see, um, oh, yes. that from the provincial archives. Uh, again, Hillary mentioned we've been sent nineteen pages uh, with links for information that we been combing through over time. But this is uh, this is a real document. This is a real document, so it's, it's a bill of sale for a slave here in New Brunswick. So
3: the, the writing is a bit different, but um, this indenture.
1: Witnesseth that for and in confirmation or confederation of the sum of 15 pounds in bronze Brunswick currency in hand,
3: place uh, me or if hand in hand, do I hereby
1: bargain fell and deliver unto my something, John, a Negro boy named. My son, my, it's my son. son John. Onto my son John, a Negro boy named Felipe, I believe. To his property and his hairs um, of said Negro goes on and on. Um, Hereby I, I acknowledge that the said George Harding was born with paid property against all claims, witnesses and witnesses uh, dated this 18th of July in the year of our Lord 1797. So this is a receipt. This is a receipt for the purchase of a human being here in New Brunswick from 1797 um, stamped with a wax seal, uh, I imagine. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, we came across this a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to anyone who would like to deny uh, that slavery took place in Canada, that humans were sold, that uh, this was only an American problem, uh, and that uh, us Canadians, uh, I'm Canadian, i always a Canadian, that us Canadians were only the saviors of black people through the Underground Railroad, and we were the, uh, the, the peak of beacon of light <laughs> compared to our evil, our, our bad big brother down down south. Um, it's not true. It's not true. Well, there wasn't a cotton industry due to uh, weather, uh, and probably that's it. Um, so it didn't thrive as much, there wasn't as much of a demand for slavery in the huge profits that slavery created. Um, black Africans were... Bought and sold in New Brunswick in the 1700s. And in fact, um, here is a newspaper article from the Royal Gazette, back in July 25th of 1786, um, regarding the, uh, a runaway slave. So, between July uh, 15th and 21st, the uh, following man, Ebert Isaac, about 30 years old from New York, uh, escaped uh, wearing a blue coat, brown hat, with Ben. Um, I think they were on a boat, uh, like jacket, uh, also Nancy, a woman, took her Negro child about uh, four years old called Lidge, uh, before uh, going to Maryland. All persons are hereby forbidden to harbor any of the above Negroes, and all matters of vessels are forbidden to take any of them on board their vessel
3: as they shall suffer the consequences. Every reward of two guineas will be paid for each of the men,
1: and six dollars for each Negro woman by Mr. Thomas Jennings, taken and delivered to him at the city of St. John at York Point. So, um, we were able to get this stuff in the news a few years back, to the the Telegraph Journal. Uh, I do recall, um, not as much today, but uh, many people back in the day, uh, denying that slavery existed. So, just to the people here, oh, that's the same one. Oh, okay, so we just have those two. Yeah, so I just wanted to show you all that, as I, as I mentioned. Um, current racial climate of New Brunswick, I remember six or seven years ago um, seeing advertisements on YouTube from the New Brunswick government um, encouraging people to be less racist. (laughs) It was funny. Um, They didn't use those words, but they were saying, you know, New Brunswick uh, Brunswick needs immigration, if we are to survive and thrive, we need to open our minds to immigration, we need to to bring people into this province. and when they get here, you know, we need to accept them, we need to let them know they're welcome. Uh, I found it very shocking to know that the government had to use paid advertising to try to um, convince the public uh, that immigration was okay, that uh, they were going to start literally marketing around the world to bring more people here to help support our, our, our struggling economy and healthcare system. Schools throw numbers. members. Um, of course, uh, online refugees. Uh, to immigrate here is quite expensive. Uh, it takes a considerable investment. Uh, usually people who immigrate here have a considerable amount of money. They will usually have to invest in the business or make some huge contributions to the province. Uh, so bolstering up our, our tax dollars and such like that. Um, but the current racial climate is that yeah, immigration is happening. Uh, it was really interesting to hear your stories about growing up and never seeing a black person. I, I think many people share that story. Uh, I, when I came here in '99, uh, I'll personally say I, uh, when I visited, I, I've never experienced racism here, whether intentional or not, whether just from lack of exposure to other cultures. Uh, I had been called the N word in New Brunswick just visiting, uh, and I'd never been called in Toronto my whole life. Um, but I'd say it's changing a little bit, we're getting more diverse, so many people come from uh, East India, the Philippines, uh, Jamaica, uh, South America, and such. But I uh, you know, uh, Hillary, do you want to speak about the... State
0: I was of just trying to look up, no, I'm pretty sure that what had been reported by CBC was that in la- last year by Right South Canada, we had received almost uh, an influx of 20,000 people. Statistically, in our population, the majority of that being immigrants. Whether it was, you know, some of our friends who have come who are actually just from from Scarborough, or whether they had come from, you know, much further away and were refugees, be it from any of the issues going on globally, but the fact of the matter is is that like the current racial climate is where the most diverse we've ever been. Um, And I think the important thing about doing these talks is, hopefully, we get to a place of much less ignorance where we're all able to come together and learn and and educate and understand, Um, which circles back to my favorite favorite thing to discuss. I have a very big passion about um, Manju Pharma, and as the, uh, the sis, uh, Commissioner yeah. for s- Mansu Pharma, so, uh, so she is the woman who was the Commissioner of Systemic Racism for our province, and she released a report with eighty-six recommendations, um, and. In of those 86 recommendations, I believe only one has been applied. Um, The whole goal of this document is to try to help understand that there is systemic racism, that it exists, and what things that we can be doing about it. Um, And with the few minutes we have left, I just want to highlight in the document from recommendations 25 to 34 are all about increasing black historical and racial historical education for the education department in new brunswick french and english Um, number 25 is about greater financial support for the creation of anti-racism resources Uh, Number 27 is to mandate anti-racism perspectives into the school improvement plan. Uh, Number 30 is to develop a province-wide anti-racism policy for all schools. Uh, Recommendation 31 is to have anti-racism education for anybody getting a Bachelor of Education at any of the New Brunswick universities. The most important one I want to highlight is that recommendation number one was that government of New Brunswick senior leaders and elected officials understand what systemic racism is. We give these talks so that people understand that systemic racism exists. It is not any white person's fault, it's not a black person's fault, it's no one's fault. Systems are in place that have benefited white people in this country, and um, we just want people to benefit sometimes too. Um, And it's no one's fault, but we can all work together to try to champion that change. And it does start with education, and it starts with educating Blaine Higgs' government, and so it's an educating. Good, Good luck. <laughs> but I'll see you all the close to the it it but it has to start somewhere. And it starts in rooms like this, and the, part of the reason we're wrapping up here is thank you so much for coming and listening, being part of the conversation, and we hope that these conversations trickle into, you know, when you're telling people about your day, so that we can get to a place where we have an educated government. Um, And so that people understand that racism existed, slavery existed here, the KKK was and is here, and unless we are all educated, we're not going to get to a better place where there is peace and love and we're all singing kumbaya, there is no fire in kumbaya if we don't, you know, educate the
1: people. Absolutely. Yeah, the point of presentations like this is never to face blame or make anyone feel guilty, but the reality is, is the reality. And uh, we truly believe at Black Atlantic through exposure therapy. Uh, we help to break down previous uh, conceptions or ideologies or just impressions about other communities. Uh, when I moved here, I often used to joke that I felt that high-speed internet was like God's gift to New Brunswick, uh, because before that, uh, you know, the kind of exposure that um, Many people would have to uh, visible minorities, people of color, black people, whatever you want to call us, was you know through the TV show Cops or through rap music and such like that, and you know we are so much more than just that. Um, my final thought escaped my mind, unfortunately. Um, but
5: do you intend to write a book on this? Who knows? <laughs>
0: who knows what's in store? Who knows what's in store? Um, Um, I would say at this point, we're happy to be championing, you know, the the McCarthy family who are historians from St. John, 6th and 7th generation, who intend to put this history in books. Um, We're going to continue to run our mouths and podcast about it, absolutely. Um, And if we we get to a point where we can, you know, champion a book about some of this stuff, we would love to, but we are more than thrilled to share the resources that already exist from the people who are 100% fact-checked. Because yes, so,
4: Halifax
0: mm-hmm. has done quite a bit lately. What is it called, the Africville? Africville. Absolutely. Yes. 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 I, I have. never been there, but I have yet to go. Um, I was invited, but um, it's a, a very well, not really similar, but mm-hmm. another deplorable situation that happened to the black people who lived there. And but there, you know, they have. There's an Africville museum now, and they're definitely no, they, they they recognizes the yes. community that has yes. gone through. Significant hardships, and it's
1: slowly coming out on the other end of that. I remember my thought, thought, thankfully. Um, Regarding a book, I think it would be more likely that we would hope to, if we could ever obtain the funds to help support the the writing of a book on at least historic communities by some of the people who live here and who actually are historians. But um, regarding my personal definition of systemic racism, you know, racism doesn't necessarily exist in a way that is so obvious and noticeable as it used to be. It's not so over people aren't going around openly calling people the n-word, uh, attacking and beating up and harassing and killing, dragging, well you know, hanging, and uh, dragging by a, by a tow truck. Um, the way systemic racism exists more nowadays is that, you know, people in positions of
3: power, at schools, at banks, in government organizations, you know,
1: if they have these views about people of culture, and want to hold them back. You know, it, it can exist more in forms of not getting access to loans, uh, not being given a job opportunity because of their name, um, not getting the marks they deserve in school to help them get ahead if they want to go to university. It's very subtle. It's uh, racism has learned to kind of exist in the shadows, uh, in which it's incredibly hard to prove. Um, Dr. Timothy Christie uh, for years has been advocating for uh, racism to become considered criminal. Therefore, uh, acts of racism would not have to be on the onus of a person who experienced racism through the Human Rights Commission, where I believe 70 to 80% of the claims end up getting dropped because of how complicated it is from the taxpayer to prove uh, racism. So, uh, you know, we champion people like that, we, we learn, but uh, just root for that. You know, you're not going to see the kind of racism that you hear about on TV or hear about history anymore. It's
4: much more so. No, because the children in the schools now mostly international now, like in our school system. I think there's a lot to... Uh, it's a growing number. I'm
1: definitely any... still the minority, and will probably always be the minority, well, you know, but it's well, certainly increasing, know. and uh, the more diversity, the more exposure, the more yeah. we understand that we live in a global, global, global world where we're all humans. Well, because um, I know they're so having
4: more children. Mm-hmm. They're having, like... Oh, yes, absolutely. ...more children uh, from Philippines, mm-hmm. and South America, and I think they're having more children, like here so, I don't know, I don't know
0: the statistics,
1: or yes. demographics. I'd say we're probably a couple of centuries away from uh, not being a minority in this province or whatever, but I do understand what you're saying, and I, I agree with you. I said maybe only a
0: couple. With the housing market, all the black people are just going to come from wrong. I'm next, don't worry. I mean, yeah.
1: we look forward to a time where it, it, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it's like, so what if like, cool. yeah, because,
4: it's not because the category it's like it's from the you know, mind and heart. It's not because we're reproducing, you know. It's <laughs> the yes. and I think that's Well it. thank you so much. Yeah, yes, I'm pretty sure this is
3: Davis reward? <laughs> Please go check us out and contact us. And oh thank you so much for attending. <laughs> <you so much. laughs>